Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to this session this morning. Um, before we start, we just want to pray and welcome the presence of the Lord. And then we'll go from there. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just want to thank you for this day that you have given us. Thank you for the opportunity to come to this conference. Thank you, Father, for challenging us afresh uh, in our personal callings, in partnering with you to do what you are doing in the nations, Lord. We want to give you the honor and the privilege. We just want to thank you for this day. Uh, bless us even as we go through this session. We invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You are welcome. Uh, the technical guys are trying to help me to connect to the screen. But while they do that, we'll just do some introduction. Um, my name is Francis Bukachi. I'm from Kenya. And I think I'll ask my wife to stand up. Just, yeah. <laughs> She's Pamela Bukachi. Uh, we have walked this journey uh, together. Uh, most of our lives have been in ministry for 30 years. Most of it in missions. So we met on the mission field. So I always tell young people, when you are praying for a spouse, sometimes the answer is not in your hometown. <laughs> I had to go to the mission field. That's why we met her. She's a nurse and a midwife. And she was the missionary training school. And all of us received the same call to the Somali people. Uh, so that was a great agreement. Yeah, and another thing I always tell people, before you get married, ask them, what is your calling? Because if you don't agree the calling, you may never agree anything else. <laughs> yeah, so we agreed on our calling, and we thank God that together we have served the last 30 years. Uh, we were among the Somalis for 10 years in Kenya. That is the northeastern part of Kenya, uh, Ethiopia, Somalia, Djibouti. The Somalis are in five countries. We learn Somali language. <laughs> Yeah, I ended up teaching Somali language to missionaries, which was really interesting because I'm not, I'm not a strong language person. So one of the things I told God, if you want me to serve among the Somalis, you must teach me Somali language. So I thought it was a very difficult thing for the Lord. It was not. I got a scholarship to go to Somali language school. I don't know who, was, who paid for it up to today. I was just called, please come to Nairobi. Uh, you have been invited to join the Somali language school. And I learned Somali over three years. And my teacher from Australia, who helped to translate the Bible to Somali language, told me, I don't want to come back to Kenya again. I'm an old man. Next time they need a Somali language teacher, they should call you. So I started teaching Somali language. Uh, and then my wife was working as a nurse with the Africa Island Mission and SI missionaries. Uh, and a midwife in that area for five years. And then after that, we left uh, we spent their 10 years, then we, we had burnout. We, don't know if, we didn't know we had burnout. We just knew we were tired. And then when we went back home uh, in the city, uh, we worked in a children's home uh, for abandoned babies for two and a half years. She worked for five years. She was the nursing manager. And then after that, the Lord called us to go back to missions, but this time in a different way. Uh, to go and train believers in those areas to reach their own people. So that's the strategy we use up to today. So rather than going to uh, go and master the language, we identify believers to go and train them to reach their own people. So we worked 
uh, Dr. Florence Mwindi. She was my mentor for five years. Yeah, and we always have a joke in Kenya or here. People know Dr. Florence. If she has to do something, it's impossible to refuse to do it. Because she'll come and smile and speak softly. She's not a soft lady. But you will do it. So the first time she asked me to go back to Somalis, I told her, no, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Uh, she was not the first person to ask me. I think uh, World Concern had asked me to go back to Somalia to become the country director. I told them I'm not interested. But she came back the second time. She came back with a friend, and the rest is history. <laughs> so I joined Life in Number Dance for five years, but she mentored me in how to impact churches, uh, going to those countries. So we went back to Somalis, identified churches or believers or missionaries working in Somalis and trained them to reach them. So we identified Somali believers in Djibouti, in Somaliland, secret believers, we trained them and actually they set up a national ministry that still exists up to today. And then we... Okay. And then she gave me more work. So she sent me to Sudan, in Khartoum. I did the same thing, identified believers, trained them, and they started their own national ministry. Then she told me South Sudan. <laughs> so it took five years. After five years, I told her, it's enough. I need to move on. Hallelujah. So the Lord... <laughs> so the Lord, after 15 years in missions, I was like, I really want to do something different. And then we get this call to go to Ghana to be missionaries again. So we took our family to northern Ghana, worked with the Baptist churches, training them to reach the Muslim communities. So that has been our journey. Then after, I think there was Ebola... So, we went back home and the Kenya government told us, you cannot go back to West Africa. So, we handed over everything to Ghanaians. So, we have a Ghana team, we have a Burkina Faso team, we have a Zambia team, and we have a Malawi team. So, we go to countries, train people in seven modules, discipleship, leadership, community health, starting businesses, starting schools, setting up leaders, and then we pull out. It takes three years. So, that has been our journey. And during that time, in 2005, before Dr. Florence came to look for me, <laughs> we, we, I had an experience with the Lord, to very personal. So what I'm going to teach you today, and what we share for the last few years, this module we developed ourselves, how to minister to the emotional healing and spiritual freedom for people. And in this uh, situation I had with the Lord, the Lord came and asked me a question. He told me, if my people will not learn how to apply Isaiah 61 in their lives, they will not make it. So, being someone who likes reasoning, I thought the Lord was joking. <laughs> because, normally I tell people, when the Lord speaks to you, it looks like a joke until it starts happening. <laughs> because sometimes He has to pull you from your comfort zone. So, I started really asking the Lord, and He, he was gracious enough through studying other people's material. But I noticed after that encounter with the Lord, I was training now with the Life in Abundance. I went to 10 churches who are working in communities in Kenya. I noticed something had changed. I'll either meet people who had emotional needs or I'll see demonic manifestation. I had never experienced in my life. So people thought I was an expert. I had no clue what was happening. So that's how the Lord introduced me. It's not something I looked for. Out of this encounter, He told me it will start. So I had to deal with this. Of course, Dr. Florence helped us a lot. 
Uh, she gave me permission. You are free to go and teach these things. And actually, that's how I started ministering to emotional healing. The first case I did was with Somali believers. Now, imagine the situation we had worked with Somalis for 10 years, had Bible studies with them, but there was this high rate of backsliding. So, I decided this time, I'll go with the Somalis, no discipleship, I'll just teach them emotional healing and spiritual freedom for all those days. And actually, all of them are still believers today. So what we found out that uh, as we reach people in other cultures, especially first generation, second generation, and persecution, people from persecution countries, you will find they come with a lot of emotional needs. Uh, this lady in this Somali fellowship had been raped. Children had been taken away when she became a Christian because when the war broke out Somali, she started running for her life. So this was the first time she ever shared her story. So, I want to encourage you as you go through this, I'd like you to pursue it. Uh, my wife is a medical person, so maybe after the session you can talk to her. Because through emotional healing, she has been able to help a lot of people. Because when you're dealing with medical cases, you know the situation. Some of them are really not medical cases. Some people are sick because of extreme stress. So, you have to learn to be able to pick out the issue and be able to help them. Because you may be the only person who's going to help them. Especially as a medical person, people in Muslim cultures or in Africa, people respect medical people, so they take you seriously, more than even parents. Yeah, someone go to a doctor and say, the doctor said, that is it. <laughs> or the nurse said, so you guys have credibility. So I want to challenge you, expand your comfort zone. I know you are good in ministering to physical needs. I want to challenge you to learn to minister to people's emotional needs because they are real. So, after that, uh, the Lord challenged me. We started developing this curriculum with the Ghana team. So, my strategy of developing a curriculum is very simple. Like, I'm talking like this, I'm recording myself. I'll get the recording, I'll get a Ghanaian to write everything, and then from there, we start developing a manual. So, that's how we develop modules. You record yourself, you listen to what you say, it didn't make sense. Then you go back to the Lord. So, these days writing books is easy because you always, you always do the first draft, the second draft. And the Lord is good with that because you, you never get everything right. But after 15 years, we have a training curriculum that we have used in five countries. We have used here in the U.S. Uh, a lot. Actually, now these days when you come to U.S. like this trip, we have friends. We do a lot of emotional healing, just stuff. And then we have received an invitation to do this train African missionaries in 10 countries. Just emotional healing stuff. And some of them are very difficult countries. So we are talking from something we have experienced. And I'm praying it will help you. Um, so, how many of us know Isaiah 61 very well? Okay. okay, and who... Let me ask this question, I forgot. Who is coming to this conference for the first time? Put up your hand. Okay, hallelujah. You're welcome. So, there are six kinds of people only that Jesus says, because Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. Okay? I always say I'm a missionary, I'm not a pastor. So the way I read the Bible is no, I don't read the Bible like the pastor. Hallelujah. <laughs> so there are things when Jesus was called, he went to the synagogue and told people he's calling. He only op- he opened the Bible and the Bible says he looked for Isaiah 61. 
You know, in Jewish culture, you're not supposed to look for your own scripture. Because every Saturday, they have a particular script. So Jesus said, put aside what you're saying. I'm going to introduce who I am. So in Luke chapter 4, he reads Isaiah 61. And then he tells people, today, this scripture is fulfilled. You know, they were so annoyed, they threw him out. Yes. They took him to the mountain and said, because he was very bold. But it's good to know your identity. And number two, you need to know what you are called to do. So there are many things Jesus does. Like he, say, he told Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, I came to seek and save them. So I always tell people, there are many things Jesus, depending on what you are looking for. That is evangelism. Then he told the disciples, if you have seen me, seen the Father. So he came to reveal the Father. Then he said, I did not come to serve, to, to be served, but to serve. So, those are areas, or I call them dimensions of Jesus' ministry. And all of us will find our place. So Isaiah 6 is what he described. So in that chapter, he says, The Lord has anointed me to do things. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. And that one, I remember the Lord telling me, that one is loaded. Because people, are, mostly we think they are physically poor. That's what we tend to see. But people can be spiritually poor, emotionally poor, socially poor, and economically poor. So in our curriculum, we take you all those steps. And Jesus said, it is good news. So normally you ask people in our training, what is good news to a power person? You have to answer that question. What is good news to a lonely person? What is good news to a person who is emotions and not handling? You have to answer their need for them to know Jesus is good news. So like if in the last session here, the way Jamie said, said, Sometimes we want to solve people's problems quickly without even knowing their need. Okay? So another thing he says, he came to heal the broken hearted. All of us here, if it has not happened, it's going to happen. Someone will break your heart. What are you going to do? Okay? The third thing he said, he came to comfort those who are mourning, to give joy to those who are grieving in Zion. Okay? So he talks about sadness. Okay? How do you deal with sadness? When you get a patient who has lost a loved one, what are you going to do? Okay? Then he says the next one, he came, those who have, who have despair, to be clothed the garment of praise. Now in Jewish culture, I'll start a classical Hebrew. Okay? Classical Hebrew is pictorial. So, garments, the, only, the opposite for despair, discouragement, and when you're feeling low, is you put on what? The garment of praise. Because the Bible says, those who are joyful shall be strong. Okay? So, how, when you get, and I've handled those cases, obviously, guys are medical people, some of you are psychologists, some of you are psychiatrists, you find out that there are many causes of depression or discouragement. Some are physical, some are chemical, some are spiritual. It's important to find out the reason so you give the right solution. Yeah. So that's why we say sometimes we just tell people, like in our family, we learned this many years ago, always put on praise and worship 24 hours per day in your house. It creates an environment for the presence of God. The enemy cannot dwell where the Lord is being praised. They too can never agree. So I always tell people, be very intentional. Put on the garment of praise. And we have taught our children, okay? 
we get you to restart your laptop? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, I want to encourage you that time. Then he says the next one was, uh, those who are prisoners, he came to open their doors. And those who are captives, he came to set them free. So, I, only, I used to teach English in a second language. Do you think God knows English? <laughs> or, what's the difference between a prisoner and a captive? Someone try. Mm-hmm. That's one aspect. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a prisoner normally you did something wrong. So you have you know, God is a, a righteous father. So when you sow, you must reap. You can never violate that law unless the law of forgiveness operates. So, some people, when you are dealing with them, in, in, you are going to see, you find out that the problems they are going through is because of their choices. Sinful choices. So, the Lord says, you have to pay the price. As a righteous father. Okay? So, I always tell people, if we don't know the character of God, it is very easy to think, when he told Moses, Moses asked three things. Number one, teach me your ways that I may know you. Number two, he asked, May your presence go with us. The third thing he told God, show me your glory. And the Lord told him, that's a difficult thing. So I will not show you my face, I will show you what? My back. How, when he came, he was proclaiming what? His name. I'm most gracious, merciful, kind, but I punish sin. So sometimes when he, you find that some of the people you are going to meet, when you are doing inner healing or emotional healing, um, we are very deliberate in our ministry. We will confront you if we know you did something wrong. There is no way you are going to sugarcoat a wrong choice. Because you are not helping the person. It, God is not interested in them to feel nice. God is interested for them to change. So normally, a pre- whenever I see the word a prison in the Bible, someone made a choice. And you, our responsibility is to bring them to a place they can come to repentance. Ask God for forgiveness. And then, the Lord can restore the joy of salvation the way he restored King David. David had sinned. And he said the presence of God had left. And he said, God, don't take away my, your spirit from me. Then he cried out, restore unto me what? The joy of salvation. But do you know the reality? When Prophet Nathan met him, he had to confront him. And people say it took one year for David to repent. How do we know? Because the baby was already born. <laughs> so it took one year for him to realize. So this prophet comes to you, whatever you did, the Lord knows. So David being the king, those days you could not confront a king. So prophet Nathan told him a nice story. <laughs> Someone with many sheep. He had a visitor. He couldn't slaughter. He, instead of slaughtering, he went and took for someone from the poor man. David said, as a righteous king, that guy will be punished. Then Prophet Nathan said, you are the one. You know what they were saying? Uh, I want to say something. Do you know the Bible very well? You know what he was saying? David had seven wives. And he took another one. So that's why the Lord was annoyed. 
the story was about him. He had many sheep. <laughs> so they all say, why did you take someone's wife? And then the Lord told him, because you have made my name to be laughed at by enemies, you will pay the price. Then David cried out, have mercy. And the Lord told him, I have forgiven you, but the child will die. Number two, your own children, one will sleep with your concubines. Number three, war will break up in your kingdom. What was the Lord showing? He showed him mercy, but he did not take away the consequences of his choices. So we have had cases. Someone makes a lady pregnant. He comes to church and repents. But we are not planning to kill the baby. You understand? So God will forgive him, but we must take care of the child and the baby and the mother. So that's what I'm saying. When you're doing inner healing, those things you have to bring to people. Otherwise, the Lord will never heal them. The Lord is not interested to sugarcoat our choices. He wants you to... So that's the first thing. I'm trying to explain the four keys. The first key is to have peace with God and with yourself. You have to confess your sinful choices to the Lord. And in missions life, we have been missionaries for 30 years. This is a pattern. Most missionaries leave the field because of conflict, offense, and other problems. But conflict and offense is a leading cause why people leave ministry. But the solution is this. Deal with your issues. Don't abandon your ministry because you are not willing to ask for forgiveness. And repent because it doesn't help us. When we lose, I've seen this. Now, at the moment we are pastors, we've been pastoring for seven years and also doing missions. We see the same thing in churches. People are offended. But the Lord has a solution. Then the second one, you suffer, or you, you, the second key is captivity. Okay? Captive is someone captured in a war. And sometimes when you're captured, you don't even know why you're captured. If you, if you have to know the reality, read the Old Testament. Those wars, they'll go and capture women and even marry them off. In Africa, many years ago, we used to do the same. If your parents could not get you a girl, because you, you are not allowed to choose your girl, they chose for you. You go to war, capture the ladies and marry them. That's how the world was for many years. But you see what is happening. Someone is captured, something has happened to you, and you have no clue. Like maybe, there's this case we handled many years ago, uh, with my wife, we were working in this children's home, so this colleague of mine, who had started doing emotional healing, and he starts crying. He starts crying. He said, why are you crying? I'm crying because my father was a doctor. But he was an alcoholic, and he never took me to school. So I never went to school. So his captivity is because of the choices of his father. So captivity, the only way you get out, you have to forgive the person that caused the problem. That's the only way. You have to forgive the person. Okay. You have to learn to forgive. I'll mention some specific things. Number one, someone has betrayed you. Especially when a relationship has broken down between parents and sons, husband and wife, co-workers. You feel hurt. The only way you can be free is you have to forgive. Don't look to retaliate. The Lord knows how to pay people. So don't help the Lord. The Lord says, vigilance belongs to me. And in the Christian community, we get hurt most because we have high expectations of one another. But we have to remember, all of us, as sinners, 
born by grace. So we will make mistake. We will hurt you. So we have to show grace to each other by learning to forgive people. Or another thing that we have seen that is very severe, rejection issues. You grew up in a family where you are rejected, you are not wanted. Rejection can be very painful. Most of the cases we are handled, if we don't go deal with rejection, normally it doesn't end well. And these are people that even when God shows them love, they can't receive it because they think they need to earn it. So if we see people normally trying to earn the favors of God, at the root, they have issues of acceptance. They can't even accept the Father loves them. And it may be some manifestation of a broken relationship in a parent or a school. So you have to help them to forgive the person with no strings attached. Because when you forgive, the person may never change. This is very common in families that are polygamous or uh, when you are working in the marketplace where people are born again and others are not. You don't have a choice to correct people. But you can forgive them to set yourself free. So the only way we found out, the only way you get out of captivity is you have to learn to forgive. And the best example we know in the Bible is Jesus. And the second example is King David. David says in Psalms 27 verse 10, If my mother and father reject me, the Lord will accept me. So I think David was, not right, David was writing from experience because when Prophet Samuel came to the house and asked the father, Where are your children? He never introduced David. So we know David was a rejected child. We will never know why until we reach heaven. Because I can't understand. I told you, you know, Prophet Nath, uh, Samuel was not just a judge. He was the high priest. And also he was the, the prophet. So he was the president of the country. He tells them, prepare a party. I want to meet your children. He didn't tell them he's going to choose a king. Bring me all your sons. He brings all of them. They line up. The Lord tells him, it's not this one, not this one. The Lord asks him, ask him, is there another one? David was not in the picture. So David was a rejected child. That scripture you're speaking from experience. Though my mother and father reject me, the Lord received me. Also we know David faced rejection from his own brothers. He goes to take food for them when they were fighting. They call him names. Why are you here? You should be taking care of the sheep. Now sheep was there. Taking care of the sheep was the lowest job in Israel. If you're not fit to be a soldier... So David was hurt. But when he becomes a king, what did he do? He takes care of his parents. And he takes care of his brothers. He appoints them as officials in the kingdom. So David never kept rejection in his heart. Okay? So that's how you, get, uh, the, the, how you make peace with others. Just forgive them. Because if you don't, you will stay in captivity. And uh, people have asked me many questions about, how, can I forgive someone who died? Yes. So I learned from James Dobson, he's a, a great author here in America who wrote a book on the family. He says, sometimes you just write a letter to the Lord and tell the Lord, this person annoyed me, I'm not happy, I choose to forgive him and I release him, then burn the letter. Whether the person is dead or alive. Because some issues, you don't want to go back and reopen the wounds. And we learned this the hard way when you're missionaries in Ghana. With this conflict with a very close pastor. It was big because we had to involve other people to solve it. We love this pastor. So when we reconciled, I was expecting him to come and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. He didn't. And that one even annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) So we are about to leave northern Ghana to go back home. He comes with gifts. 
and gives us gifts. So I'm trying to ask my mind, why can't he just say sorry? And then the Lord spoke to my heart. It's in the Bible. Remember Abraham and Isaac, that generation conflict with Philistines? They will exchange gifts to show there is peace. So to me, it opened my understanding because we have had these situations where maybe children are hurting because of their parents or a pastor. I normally say, you can never confront your father and mother. It's not good. Whether they are right or wrong. It's in the Bible. The Bible says in Proverbs, I think chapter 20 and 30, if you confront your father and mother some issues, the Lord will send another bird eh, to come and remove your eyes. It's in the Bible. Because it's a sign of dishonor. The Lord will take away your vision. So, what do you do? So if you have a conflict with parents or a pastor, someone older than you, take a gift. A nice gift. Pray about it. Tell God what gift they like. When they are very happy, it's called a bribe. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's in the Bible. When they are very happy and they are celebrating, tell them, bless me, bless me quickly before they change their mind. It works. Because once they bless you, the Bible says from the story of Jacob and the father, the blessing can never be removed. That's what they did. It's in the Bible. Jacob and Rebecca bribed the father. True. So you don't confront someone who's older than you, especially parents or spiritual leaders. Look for a way to make peace without telling him, forgive me, because he'll ask you, forgive you for what? It's a sign of honor. Okay? So that's how you get out of captivity. And uh, like we, we encourage, you know, when people are getting married, get a blessing from your parents. Even if it's a broken down relationship, go back. Because these are your parents. You will not be here without them. So in Africa, we normally say, even if your parents are witch, it's still your parents. Look for a way to honor them. Look for a way. And the Lord will tell you, take a gift. I just want the blessing. So look for a way. The Lord will always guide you to carry out captivity. Because people have told us, oh, this one cannot happen. It will happen. If you ask the Holy Spirit, He will lead you. Now, the third key is guard your thoughts. So, imagine this picture. This picture, you've seen cartoons. I had one here, but the thing is not working. Uh, this picture, the bird was landing on his head. <laughs> so, if you allow bad thoughts, evil thoughts to land on you, you're going to have problems. And I always tell people, those of us who are in the mission field, or if you read the Bible, You can never bind the devil and send him to hell. He'll tell you it's not your time. He told Jesus, not yet my time, my friend. So, I've seen Christians do some things. I bind the devil and send him to the pit of hell. Are you better than Jesus? Just get it out. But you see, the Bible says the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the devil is free. And how he attacks people is through thoughts. Because the biggest strategy the enemy has against people, number one, is temptation and just attacking our thoughts. Once he captures your thoughts, you will do what he says. So the battlefield is always in our mind. So what you do, you apply James 4, chapter uh, 7. He says, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he'll flee from you. What I've found out, 
And I'll say, uh, you guys will be gracious to us, hallelujah. <laughs> Different cultures are passive, others are violent. It comes to spiritual affair. I tend to see people in the West very passive when it comes to dealing with the devil. Please, the Bible says, submit to God and resist him verbally. The devil has a voice and he has ears, nice ears. Tell him these thoughts of anger, these thoughts of this, get out from my life. I only say, if you do it often, he will leave you and say, this man can, I cannot go there. Now, this one we learned from a spiritual affair case. Okay? Uh, one year ago, we had to cast out 31 demons from someone. And we noticed something. If all of you start shouting, come out, come out, they never come out. Because demons like drama. <laughs> so we learned, when someone is demon-possessed, get one person to take charge. And you say you are in charge for the next session. One person at a time. Because they like, if you make noise, they make noise. Another th- uh, those, you know, those people pray in tongues. That is even worse. Because we had a prophetic guy on the team. Very prophetic. Because then they can see what is happening. The Lord told him, tell him to sh- tell them to shut up. Tell them to stop speaking in tongues. You are confusing them. Because they are hearing like noise, someone banging teens. Because the Bible says they can't hear. So the Lord says, speak in a language they understand. A human language. You understand? So that one gives us grace for everyone. <laughs> Whether you have the gift of speaking tongues or not. Because when you start those drama, you see the person twisting, walk looking at even in counseling sessions, the person looks like he's dazed. Because they don't understand what you're saying. So calm down. Speak to them. If you resist the enemy often, many times, he will leave you. Because the, the human beings we have a free will. No matter what we went through in our lives, you are free. And the enemy knows you are free. So one of the things it does in your mind is to think you cannot do it. Once he captures you, that is, the battle is ended. So make sure you learn to guard your thoughts. The Bible says, Philippians 4, chapter 8, Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, think about these things. So I deliberately choose to focus on the good things. As a leader, I receive very many bad news. I'm here in this conference, but the last 36 hours, I've received very many bad news. Like someone in Kenya was going to do an exam and her legs started swelling, and she couldn't go for the exam. So I called her prayer team, told them to pray for her. She went for the exam. But you see, she has to write to the pastor. I don't make, his pe- I don't make people's problems my problem. You understand? I guard my thoughts. I don't want to be influenced that I'm worried like she's worried. Okay, another one wrote me. That was a family situation. It's not a good situation happening. I called another leader. told her, okay, let's pray about it. Because you have to guard your thoughts. As your medical people, there's a connection between your spirit, your soul, and your body. And the power point where the enemy tries to confuse us is the mind and our emotions. So that's the area you can access. You cannot access your spirit because your spirit belongs to the Lord. So that's why you hear these books. Get a good book on the battle of the mind. Learn to overcome. So there's this test we normally tell people. If you can overcome, if you can keep bad thoughts away for 30 minutes or 5 minutes, you are doing very well. Then you increase it. If you can do for 24 hours, you are doing very well. So it is possible to have 100% victory over Satan in your mind. 
you train your mind. Don't be passive. Otherwise, what happens, like in the mission field, like when you get bad news, you know, depending on your personality, you can see either the cup is half full or half empty. So how you respond, you choose it. And don't let people determine for you. We have worked in uh, Muslim countries. Uh, Somali, she has worked in Sudan, I've worked in Sudan. I was in Mali the other day. Please, if you're in crisis, we have crisis. In the news, you open the newspaper, bad news. You're being told you need to get the airport at this time because terrorists are going to attack. Do not allow fear to capture your mind. Because you never do missions. Do not allow those thoughts, whether anger, fear, worry, despair, God, just name them and tell them, no, you're not taking my mind. At that point, you are, now you're able to guard your emotions. So there are only two strategies there. That's the third key, guard your emotions. That means resist the enemy verbally. And number two, focus on the good things. The Lord is good. In the midst of things that are going on in the whole world, I can tell you the truth. The Lord is fulfilling Isaiah 60. He says, arise and shine, for your light has come. As the darkness covers the earth, my brightness of my glory will shine upon my people. So the best days for the church are now. If you have to see God, we have the privilege of being the mission field. We hear nice stories. You know, you think God is not working. There's a meeting I went the other day, a perspective teacher. You know, you pray for countries. During the 1040 window, we prayed for the uh, Central Asian countries for many years. And you, you get this guy who has come from Uzbekistan. He has planted churches in a Muslim country. And his landlord was a former government official who hosted him. But he has, his family got saved first. His wife and children. God is moving even in the darkest places. So I always tell people, guard your thoughts. Don't focus. I mean, as a policy, we don't watch news in our house. These days, there's no good news on the news. So even my kids, they are now young adults. They shut down the TV. They don't watch news. You know we have the choice today. You can choose the news to read on your phone. You don't have to listen to what they are saying. Because all of that is just to create fear. And stress. As if things are going to go wrong. I can tell you the truth. Until Jesus comes, nothing is going to go wrong. Because this earth has to be here when Jesus comes. He's coming to rule a physical earth. So whatever people say, we are here. The church will always be here. Don't worry. Don't worry what they are saying. So normally you have to look even at theology. Part of your mind change is learning to understand the Bible for yourself. I always say, you can see the book of Revelation as a victory book or a defeat book. The way you read it matters. (laughs) For me it's a victory book. Because the Lord finishes the job. Every tribe is represented. And he says in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, And all the kingdoms of this earth became the kingdoms of his Christ and of his God. At some point, they will bow. At some point. Before he arrives. So, for me, I say missions, keep on the positive side. We are on the winning side. We get sick. I've gotten sick. Sometimes you have to leave the mission field in defeat. But it doesn't mean the Lord is defeated. <laughs> Yeah, we have to keep positive in this because things are not promising, things will get better. You know, when you read Luke chapter 21, the Bible says, In those days there shall be great distress on the earth. So you have heard, you look, you look in the literature now, 
Everyone is talking about anxiety and stress. The Bible says it shall increase. That should be a sign things are getting better. For the Lord. But for the, but for the nations, it's going to get very difficult. So, but if you're in the Lord, you have peace. You can guard your mind to be have peace. It's just the way we, what we focus on. I want to encourage you. It's not yet get better. So, don't watch news. You can watch cartoons. Yeah. Sometimes I tell people, it's good to watch Tom and Jerry. You can laugh. It's good for your health. Bible says, a cheerful spirit what? It's good for your bones. So, you choose... Let's choose to respond to God because I don't think the Lord is giving the, the world a choice. Okay? He is not. I've seen people on our team. We had a team member the other day. He traveled home, got some bad news from his father and mother. It was not good. Now he got stressed. Now he has stomach ache. So we tested him. We did CT scans. We did x ray. The, the doctor said, It's stress. So I told him, My friend, deal with your stress. Your family problems are not going away. But you can choose how to respond. And also don't enter the battles of your mother and father. When they met, you are not there. Deal with your battles. Because if they are separated, what are you going to do? But you can choose to love both of them. You can choose to pray for them. You can choose to work for reconciliation. But don't take sides. <laughs> if you take sides, it doesn't work with the Lord. We are called to be reconcilers. Not Cosmo problems. It's difficult because sometimes it's personal, but I always say sometimes it's good to step out of the situation and look at it the way God looks at it. Then you can guard your mind. What is God trying to say here? How can I reconcile this broken relationship? Then the Lord says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? the sons of God. So we are called to be reconcilers when people have issues. And then the last one. Uh, the last, so the first key is you make peace with God and yourself through what? Repentance. Second one, you forgive. Third one, guard your emotions. Number fourth one, trust God. And the best example I can give you is Job and Paul. So I'll talk to the, I'll talk to you about as a missionary. Paul, you know, have you ever asked yourself what Paul says to have this thorn in the flesh? What is it? So people have written many books, but I think Paul answered the problem. He said, he, was, he goes to a particular church, tells them, he tells the Galatians, Galatians, if he had eyes, you'll have given me your own eye. Huh? So I think Paul had an eye problem. Now, if you read church history, Paul was not this great speaker with a nice suit. <laughs> Paul was one of the... Uh, he was not... He says himself in Second Corinthians, he was not physically... A Kamuli person. Eh? He was not this Hollywood guy. No. The Bible says clearly, he describes himself. He was a very poor speaker. He says it himself, but a good writer. And the third thing he says, when I come to you, I'll demonstrate the power of God. The guy knew what he was doing. When it came to power of God, the guy knew. So if you read letters, Paul really glorifies the power of God because he says our faith is supposed to be based in the, not the wisdom of this world, but in the power of God. Second Corinthians 2.4 He says, when I came to you, I did not come preaching wise words. I demonstrated the power of God so that your faith 
be based on the power of God. What people don't know, sometimes it's good to get inside an apostle when he's talking. Because God is revealing his problems. <laughs> and all of them had big problems. Paul, they say he was short and bow-legged and bald-headed. So I used to think he used to walk like this. He was not. It's true. He was not this guy in a nice suit. No. See, he had a lot of shortcomings. Paul was not a good speaker. That's why the Corinthians church despised him. He started the church that despised him. He was, it says, the Bible says he was not as eloquent as the other apostles. But the guy knew the power of God. So what I'm trying to say, <laughs> this fourth key, you need to use it very well. Okay, Trust God. In the midst of your weakness, the Lord can use you. Okay? So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he tried to pray away three times. So I want you to follow my thought clearly. He prayed about it. Do not accept your situation without praying about it. Because I've seen people go the other side. Like, you know, when you work in Muslim culture, when something goes wrong, they say, Inshallah, God wills. No. God is not a God of faith. No. God has given us a free will. Even when bad things happen, we have a choice to respond. So Paul says he prayed God to take away. God says, I will give you grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? Paul explains why that weakness remained in his body. He says clearly, God had given him so much revelation that he wanted to keep him humble. So, I normally tell people, the greater you know God, the more dangerous it becomes. Or another way, the higher you go on a mountain, to Mount Zion to the Lord, the more you need to be careful on top. A believer can be allowed to do anything. But if you are a pastor or an elder, it gets more dangerous. <laughs> and now if God has gifted you a lot, like Paul, it gets very dangerous. Moses went through it. One day, the Lord told Moses, speak to the rock. He decided to beat it like the last time. The Lord asked him a question. You have chosen not to obey me in the presence of the congregation of Israel. Because of your anger. Anger is an emotion, right? Because of anger, the Lord told him, you will not enter the promised land. The Bible says, Moses went and begged God, please, you promised me, not the Lord had promised him, that you will lead Israel into? He told God, please, let me just go. The Lord told him, no, you made me look unholy before my people. So you will not go. So they came to an agreement. You can always come to an agreement. <laughs> I don't know, I don't negotiate the Lord. He went and told the Lord, okay, let me climb Mount Moab and just see the promised land. The Lord said, yes, climbed. And he went and saw the promised land and came and prophesied to the people, to the twelve tribes of Israel, then he died. He was not allowed to see it because he never managed his anger. That's the only thing that kept Moses out of the promised land. So our emotions can stop God working, depending how close you know him. For a new believer, there's no problem. <laughs> but for Moses, there's nothing Moses did not know about God. Do you know that? The Bible says in Numbers 12, God could speak to Moses like he speaks to a man. So Moses will see the form of God sitting in a chair. And they start discussing. So, 
He had so much revelation of the Lord. When he made a mistake, the Lord told him, out. David did the same. Paul. So Paul, God kept what? Sometimes you have to ask God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Sometimes I've learned from some literature as a Christian leader, when you're going through difficult times like pressure points, crises, sometimes imprisonment, it's the only way you can shorten the training huh, is ask God, why is it happening? Either he'll tell you, I'll give you more grace. Trust me. Because there is always a reason why the Lord will allow difficult times. It's easy to to get this thing, you start blaming people, casting out the devil, thinking you're not. No. There are some things the Lord will allow you to go through to know He is God. You are not. And normally it has to do with character development. Character development. So, another person that went through that is Jacob. Jacob runs away for 20 years. No, when Jacob left, the guy was not a Christian. So he meets this angel. Then he goes to look for, to stay with his uncle for 20 years. He has to work for the wife 14 years. Work 6 years for get wealth. Then one day an angel appears to him telling him, go back. When he reached the same place, you know what happened? He was stopped. The Bible says he encountered this angel called what? The angel of the Lord fought with him. Eh? So I always tell people, okay, people say God fought with him. It, God, you cannot fight with God. So it must be an angel. We know what was happening. He could not cross that boundary and enter the promised land unless there was a change in him. The guy was still a deceiver. His greatest weakness was lying, 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 lying. So the Lord had a confrontation with him. Do you know for the first time, Jacob told the truth. Because he saw his brother coming to kill him. So he had a good plan. This guy was used to sacrificing other people. Do you know that? Other people go fast, me I remain. This time, he was in front. <laughs> he said, my wives, he put Leah's children behind him. <laughs> Rachel's children behind, because he loved Rachel. But he said, this time, I'm going myself. If he kill me, fine. He had changed. God was trying to kill his selfish nature. And we know that when that angel ministered him, what happened to him? He triggered something in his joint. The guy became lame. Me, that's not a good story for me. <laughs> what did you tell your grandchildren? That God made you lame. <laughs> so he started walking like this. The rest of his life. And it says the Jewish people can never eat this part of meat because of that. God was breaking him. Because he could not enter the promised land with those issues of lying. And you know, after that, he became a very truthful man. He protected his family. He lived a many years. And he became a very good person who had God. Because before he died, he gave a promise to every children. He broke the problems of his father. His father had only one promise for him. Him, he had 12 for every child. Something had changed. So, when, when you go through those things, you have to trust God. Ask him. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe you lost a loved one. My mother died when I was in the mission field. So my family never saw my mom. And it broke our hearts. We were in Ghana, we couldn't get out. So I'm the only one who went for the funeral. But when I arrived at the airport at 5 a.m., she died at 5 a.m. I never saw her. My heart was broken. I always say God cheated me. And I think he did. Because my mom died of cancer. 
Had we known she had cancer, my wife would have never left the country because she's a nurse. So the Lord sealed it. Sometimes the Lord will seal it so that you obey. You will never know. Let me tell you there are some things you will never know until you arrive in heaven. I don't want, want to encourage you. If you are in this season of questioning God, you have lost a loved one. Or you have this thing that is happening you don't understand. Trust God. The Father is a good God. Job went through it. He lost everything. Lost his family. The Bible says, after nine months, after nine months, the Lord restored everything. It took only nine months. Test. The Lord restored everything. But the only thing he didn't restore, he never gave him another wife. Hallelujah. Do you know that? He restored children, property, but his wife? Same. There's a reason I'm saying those things. The Lord is a restorer. If not here, is when we go to glory. There's never a loss when difficult times come. So I want to end by just saying a statement I heard someone say the other day in a meeting. Salvation is free. Okay? Becoming a disciple will cost you something. But becoming like Christ will cost you everything. And the reason I want to enter this emphasis, inner healing is a process of becoming, not doing. Please. It's not about doing ministry. It's you becoming like Christ. Because when the Lord is able to remove those things, our wounds in our hearts, our bondages, then we reflect His character. And the Lord is determined in this season to help the church to become. And I've seen this in spiritual warfare. Many years ago, we'll go to prayer meetings. We pray a lot. Bind the devil. And it works. These days, it's very easy. Do you know, it's very easy. If you want the Lord to come to a place, start praising and worshipping Him. When the King comes, the enemy disappears. It works. So, we have built this culture of praise and worship in our church. We worship for three hours. We pray for three hours. We, we are very deliberate. And we started seeing some things because when the Lord comes as a king, he doesn't need to fight. There's a difference between fighting as a warrior and inviting the king. And the way you access it is different. One you access through warfare, another you access through praise and worship. It's the same Lord. He says he loves to dwell in the praises of his people. So if you cultivate this presence of God in your life, the manifest presence of God, you will see a lot of things. Like when the presence of God is on you, things are very clear. You can hear very clearly, you can perceive things, because your perception is clear. When even someone comes for counseling, like our team, we're able to pick things, even they don't know. Because the presence of God helps you. And then we are not overwhelmed. Amen. Any question? Uh, I invite my wife to come here if you have any question. Okay. The first key is you make peace with God, with yourself and God by repenting from here. And if the Lord shows you something you need to repent, don't put it under the carpet. Especially in this season. Do not. Because the fear of God is being restored with the church. Okay. Number two, make peace with other people. The second key, by learning to forgive. Because other people can hold you captive. Because of the things did against you. You need to learn to forgive so you are free. Number three, guard your emotions. That means learn to resist the enemy verbally. Don't be passive when you are dealing with the enemy. Because the enemy is free. There are days you feel horrible. You feel like, like he's a missionary. You don't feel like even you are worthy to speak to people. That is low self-esteem. It's not from God. 
Anything that diminishes the work of Christ in your life is a work of the enemy. Okay, number four. Anything that diminishes the work of Christ in your life is not God. God always moves you from faith to faith, grace to grace, glory to glory. Anything that tries to reduce you at point that you know the enemy is coming in. Or, okay, you can have this experience, oh, I don't feel like talking to people because someone did this to me. It's not about your feelings, my friend. It's about the Lord. You, sometimes you have to grow in your spirituality. You put your feelings aside. Because the Lord will tell you things to preach the gospel in season and out of season. The days you will not feel like going to a short-term mission. But the Lord says, you are going. Because it's an act of obedience, not how you feel nice about it. Okay. Any ministry that we do without sacrifice is not a ministry. Yeah. Ministry will cost you something. My wife has been traveling for almost four months. We just met here. But when you released her from church, you told her, we are releasing you. We had a family meeting, called it a cabinet meeting. My children are young and us. We called all of them and said, we have to release our mom because she needs to travel for a women ministry. So we released her. But she has cost them. Because they don't see her. They know she doesn't make cookies for them. So it will cost you. And then the last point was, trust God. Because difficult times will come. That key is very important. And if you are here, please don't tell him, don't teach these things I see people teaching. That if you got a Christ, become a Christian, everything will be okay. You are a liar. Please. Things get difficult sometimes. But God gives us grace. Yeah. We don't have all the answers, but we can trust God. Amen. So I have a booklet for you that has everything. It may not be enough. Um, I was supposed to project here. My, I'll just give you my email. You can write it. Uh, Francis Bukachi. Francis. Write Francis. Then B-U-K-A-C-H-I. That's Bukachi at gmail.com. Francis Bukachi at gmail.com. Okay. B-U-K-A-C-H-I. Um, it's on the yeah, on the name is there, but the email is just the same name than gmail.com because there's some things I added to get you to read. Another book I want to and comment to you. There's a book called None of These Diseases. But it's a medical doctor who's an SM doctor. So this talks about physical things, emotional stuff and spiritual things. Uh, is Doctor Millen, Macmillan or something. Yeah, but it's a book. Just say, when you go say none of these diseases book. Amazon will come up. That book is very helpful. I read it many years ago. And the Lord is really trying to teach our team. We really to have, we need to help people with the emotional stuff. Because people are hurting everywhere. Yeah, people are really hurting. And I want to challenge you to take that challenge. Amen. Any other question? Pam, you can come. Okay. I just want to share on an aspect that, uh, that uh, you know, you don't determine who comes to you. What you determine is what you do with them. And in the last, like, five years, we've met people that have been hurt in ministry, hurt in churches, hurt in organizations, 
hacked even by their parents, by their leaders. And I want to share an aspect called identification repentance. Identification repentance is where you take the sin of the offender. And, uh, for example, we have four children and the last born, we adopted her from a children's home. She was only one year. But during the ten years of living with this girl, it was so tough. I tried everything I could as a mother, but we just didn't get along. And many times I would tell Francis, you know what, I think we'll take her back. And say, no, you can't do that. And she became a prayer point for me as a mother. Until one day I got this aha moment. I was reading, I think I'd come here and I got a book on rejection and acceptance. And I was reading that book and the Lord ministered to me to take the part of her biological mother and tell her to forgive me on behalf of her mother. That is a part I've never gone before. I've never read it in any book. The Lord, like, just uh, told me, identification repentance. And so I remember looking my daughter in the face and telling her, I'm so sorry for not loving you. I'm so sorry for rejecting you. I'm so sorry for not giving you the love that you needed when you were in my stomach. Let me tell you, beloved, it was a game changer. Something disconnected from the root of rejection she had experienced. And so this became like uh, a line that the Lord was introducing us to, where you can take identification repentance for somebody. For example, if I'm discipling somebody and she says, oh, I was in this church and was taken advantage of by this pastor. Remember he has said we are also missionaries and we are pastors. So in that place, I will tell her, please forgive me on behalf of pastor so and so for breaking your heart. So it's called identification repentance. It's something that uh, you may not understand. I also don't understand how it works. But let me tell you, it has a healing power. And with that, for example, uh, it has to be, uh, like now for me as a mother, I repented on behalf of the mother. If it is a father, then Francis repents on behalf of the father. If it was a pastor, a male pastor, Francis will take repentance on behalf of the male pastor. If it was a missionary, for example, I happen to be in an organization, visit a, a place and the missionaries have been mistreated in my country. I felt so bad. And during prayer time, I went and I told them, please, forgive me on behalf of the people that hurt you in Kenya. Forgive us for taking advantage of you, for not using the resources that you sent us in the right way. And when we say that, we held hands together and prayed. Amen. Okay.
identification in person. Okay, can I do a practical? Maybe okay, our time is up, so if you want to leave, please you can leave. So I can normally do practical. So I want to ask if you know your situation was difficult with your mom. Can you stand up? You had a difficult relationship with your mom and you really struggled. So I want to demonstrate so that you know you can go and help someone else. Yeah. So they can't come in front, you can just yeah, okay. So you go ahead. Christ you have for us is to reconcile to you. 
and then reconcile us to one another. And I thank you that you are doing this not because of where we are coming from, Daddy, but where we are going. Because we are going to meet so many people that have suffered as we've suffered. All that we know of people who suffered as they have suffered. And so as you've given us, as that day you said that this scripture has been fulfilled, we know that you continue to fulfill it. I pray for this that I hear. For this tool you've given them. Lord, whoever you bring their way, they will not determine who comes their way. What they will determine is what they do with whom you bring their way. So we give this hour to you. We give these notes to you. We give back our experiences to you. Lord, use them for the praise and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you're free to leave.